May the words of my mouth and meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. A fight broke out in church one day. Almost a fist fight. And the subject of the fight, the reason that the fight broke out was because these two men got in an argument and one of them called the other a hypocrite. He called him a hypocrite to his face in front of everybody. The surprising part about this is the names of the two people who were involved in this fight. One was Peter and the other was Paul. And they happen to be referred to these days by the names St. Peter and St. Paul. And it was the latter who accused the former of being a hypocrite. Let me read to you the verses that precede this passage. The lectionary is very careful in making sure that nothing offensive shows up on a Sunday morning, but I will forego their sensibilities and let you be rightly offended. But when Cephas, that is the uh, Aramaic translation for the name Peter, when Cephas came to Antioch, Paul was writing, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the party of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, that is Peter, before them all, if you though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can, you, uh, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? I said it in the presence of them all. Now, you would think that this is a, this is a back room kind of stuff. You know, this is Paul. Take Peter back into the study and have it out back there. You know, don't, not, don't bring this out in front of everybody. Don't, don't make this a a public thing. But it was a big deal to Paul. Let me remind you what happened. Uh, Both Peter and Paul had come to the conclusion that the gospel was not just for the Jews, but it was for the Gentiles. That God in Jesus Christ had acted to reconcile the whole world, Jew and Gentile. Now, for you and I, that's like, of course, absolutely. For first century Jews, this was a a, a shocking revolution, a, a shocking revelation, rather. And, and it was becoming like a revolution. It changed everything. And because the first century world was pagan but not irreligious, they were very much keen to the message of Jesus. That, that there was this monotheism, this Jewish monotheism that, that had so much attraction, but it had always come with a, a you know, a stiff outer arm so that, that people in the, the Greek and Roman world who wanted to embrace the, the, the monotheism of Judaism, the only one of its kind, couldn't get close enough because there was this stiff reach against them. And then Peter and Paul, first Peter, then Paul, have this, this revelation that, that God had come for the Gentiles as well. And Peter began to work with Gentiles long before Paul had. Sure, then, some people came along and said, yeah, it's okay for Gentiles to become Christians, but, you know, they have to become kind of Jewish. You know, they have to be Judaized. If you, uh, if you ever come into the Anglican world from another church, um, they send you to this little Anglicanization process. <laughs> you know, you have to, you have to learn this, this way. And, and this is what, it, not in terms of being a, a Christian, but in terms of how we do things, right? But in terms of 
belonging. There were people who were saying in the churches of Galatia, look, if you want to be a Christian, you have to be Judaized properly. That means you have to keep kosher table. It means you have to keep certain calendar days, and men must be circumcised. This is part of what it meant. Peter and Paul both pushed back against this at the beginning, but now Peter has been hanging out with these folks. Now Peter is sort of caught up with their ideas. And Peter even is beginning to separate himself from the the Gentile Christians. He doesn't want to have anything to do with them. And Paul is angry about this. He is so angry that he calls Peter a hypocrite in front of everyone in the church in Antioch. There are a few things that can disrupt the life of a church, like internal conflict. (laughs) Um, We've seen it happen locally. We've seen it happen nationally. We've even seen it happen internationally. If you've been at all aware of what happened in even our own Anglican world, and it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. How do you talk to people about the good news of Jesus Christ when you can't even get along with one another inside of a church? You know, it's, it, it, it compromises the message, doesn't it? It's ugly and it's destructive. It's unseemly. And so why would Paul pick a fight with Peter in the middle of a church service? Why would he do this in the presence of everyone? Why would he do this? I opposed him to the face because he stood condemned, Paul says. Because the gospel was at stake. The gospel itself was at stake. And it made Paul furious that, that, that Peter would do this. He is, he is damaging the message of the gospel. And for this reason, he, um, he withstands him to it. It's interesting what Paul says, too, doesn't he? I don't know if you caught that, that part of my reading. How is it that you, who live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, want to force Gentiles to live like Jews. How is it that you can do this? You know, you can have your bacon sandwiches, right? Uh, Peter, I, I saw you eating shrimp cocktail the other night, you know, and, and now here you are forcing Gentiles to live like Jews when you don't even do it. Nothing can hurt a church like a public fight except for blatant hypocrisy. And I think that's what Paul decided, that hypocrisy was so great that the gospel was at stake. And if the gospel was at stake, there is no church. If there is no gospel, there is no church. And so for this reason, he withstands him to his face in the presence of everyone. And now for our text today, the seminal verse, right, in in Galatians 2.16. Well, why was that, what was the core of the gospel that Paul was so upset about? If the gospel is at stake, the question then is, what is the core of the gospel? What is the, the essence with which or for which Paul was ready to fight? Verse 16. We know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. An entire year of sermons could be on this very verse itself. So I I won't give you a whole year's worth right now this morning. But what I do want you to see is that this is the core. The issue is justification. Hold on. You don't even have to know what that means right now. All you have to know is that this is what is the core of Paul's fight. If this is the core of the fight, this is the core of the gospel. It has to do with justification. And we know that there's a contrast between works of the law and the faith in Christ. 
These are the, the, the competing ideals. Justification is the core, the core of the disagreement. What does he mean then by the works of the law? Well, he means the very things that Peter kind of got caught up in, this whole issue of, of keeping a kosher table, of, of uh, following Jewish calendar, of, of circumcision for, for males. That This is the works of the law. And by this will no one be justified. Again, you don't have to know what justification is right now, but just know that it's between works of the law and faith. And so, stop getting all messed up about these things. Stop making a big fuss about things that don't matter. Because they plainly don't matter. They don't matter at all. What does matter is faith in Christ. Now, this is a very tricky uh, passage. It, it, it's, um, if, you, if you read it in Greek, you would see this. the reason. Because you can translate this, uh, a person is not justified by the works of the law, but, as the ESV does, through faith in Jesus Christ. But that faith in Jesus Christ assumes that it is a human who places faith in Christ. But what Paul actually says is the faithfulness of Jesus. A person is not justified by the works of the law, but through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. That's what he actually says. Now, there are some who will argue about an objective versus a subjective genitive, and I don't want to go there, but I want to say to you that in this controversy, I land on the second part. It is the faithfulness of Jesus. This is how a person is justified. And what does it mean to be justified? It means to be reconciled to God. That a person is reconciled to God through the faithfulness of Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection. That Christ has done something for us. And by doing this thing for us, by dying in our stead, he makes us right with God. Yes, we have to have faith. But where does the faith come from? Where does that faith come from? It is through the faithfulness of Christ that we can even believe. Because we are born blind and, and tone deaf to, to God. We, we are born uh, far removed, uh, the, the great uh, theological term. We are totally depraved. How then do we get from being in that state to being reconciled to God? Only through the faithfulness of Jesus. It is the faithfulness of Christ that gives us the ability even to believe. This is why Paul says, I have therefore been crucified with Christ. And it's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He continues to, to live his faithfulness through the, Paul's life, he says. Okay, I know that's a little bit heady stuff. What does it mean? What, what then to us? Well, at least two things, perhaps more, but at least two. First of all, there is one way of coming into the family of God. There is one way of being reconciled. If everybody is, as I said, born totally depraved, devoid of God, distant from God, um, estranged from the life of God, how then does a person come to faith in Christ? Only through the work of the cross. The cross is central to how a person comes to faith. It is the work of Christ and the work of Christ alone. On our behalf is a gift. Um, I remember this Irish preacher one time talking about these little chipmunks that lived around his house. And he said um, every year he would go, it was a summer house, and every year he would go and, and spend some time there and, and he would take peanuts and um, he would toss them out, you know. And, and, the, and the little chipmunks would go and they would get the, the nut and, and they would eat it and they would you know, be a distant way off. And then, and then he would toss the next one a little closer. 
And they would come a little closer and the next one a little closer. And he said, and by the end of the month, they would be sitting there eating them out of my hand. And he asked a question and he says, let me ask you, whose faith is that? That little chipmunk believed that I was going to not harm him. He did it because I taught him that I was not going to harm him. It is the faithfulness of Christ that brings us close through the power of the cross. This is how we come into this community. Second thing, if this is true, and if Christ has made us members of his body, then we are all members of his body. There are no first-class and second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. We are all on equal footing. We are all the same. That means if your politics disagree, you get over it. Right? It, it, it means um, it means if you uh, if you uh, think that um, you have some privileged position, you don't. That means that there is no room in the kingdom of God for things like racism, none at all. There are no races. There is one race. It is a human race. We are all created in the image of God. It means that there's no real place for nationalism. I know. I know. Perish the thought. There's no place for nationalism. American Christians are not better than Romanian ones or Italian ones or wherever. We are all one in Jesus Christ. There's no place for sexism. We were created male and female in God's image. And so all the things that we use to divide us, to tear down the, the, the image of God in, this, in our communities are, are hypocrisy. And this is the sort of things that Paul would be going to, going to the bat for. When Christ makes us part of him, part of the family of God, he makes us family. So the good news of the gospel, if this is the gospel that God has justified us through the, faith, through the faithfulness of Jesus on the cross, the good news is, is that we are part of the family of God. God has indeed reconciled us to himself. And that we are one family. We are one family. And that is something worth fighting for. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.